This morning we are in chapter uh, John chapter 5. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're going to cover uh, verses 16 through 30. So, uh, John chapter 5, verses 16 through 30. Let me read those verses for us. <clears throat> for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill Him because He had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he had not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son. And shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them to life, even so the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. That all should honor the son, just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for our time. Father, we ask that that You be here with us. Father, we ask that You be our teacher. Uh, This morning we pray that the Holy Spirit will illumine our hearts and minds and give us understanding, Father, and um, seek... Uh, we seek to be changed by Your Word to be uh, for the sake of Your kingdom. And we ask these things in Your name. Amen. <clears throat> so let's jump right in and we're going to start um, with verse 17. And it's, again, this is building on what we talked about for the last week. And it says, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill Him because He had done these things on the Sabbath. Now, John if you remember, is referring to the events that we looked at last week. Uh, The healing of the paralyzed man at the pool where uh, Jesus, it was on the Sabbath, uh, He healed him, He told the man to rise, take up your bed, and walk. And if you remember the leaders, the religious elite, the the leaders completely ignored or overlooked uh, the, the amazing miracle that took place And they were just upset that Jesus had done this, had told him to take up his bed on the Sabbath, which, if you remember, uh, violates one of their man-made rules. Now, here we see uh, what starts. We see the beginning of their opposition to Jesus. Remember, we talked about that last week. John is trying to build out the basis of why the Pharisees were so upset upset with Jesus. Um, 
upset enough to want even to kill him. The the verb here, the verb tense, that uh, that means that the Jews, the, the, the use here, it says, for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him. The verb tense here used uh, means that the Jews repeatedly persecuted Jesus. So this was not an isolated or a one-time thing. Uh, and it didn't stop here, obviously we know that. It was a continued uh, hostile activity towards uh, Christ. This was... This was not an isolated incident, okay? Uh, uh, it, it, so we many more examples of, and will continue uh, to show their hatred towards him, specifically because of this, because of healings on the Sabbath. One thing we can say here too is most likely Jesus did this on purpose. I think we touched on this last week. He knows what day it is. He knows it's the Sabbath. And... Um, most likely, Jesus deliberately performed these miracles on the Sabbath to provoke a confrontation. Why? To pick a fight? No. He wanted to expose the religious hypocrisy of the day. Um, the religious uh, hypocrisy that, in a really sad sense, completely blinded them to uh, a true worship of the living God. So Jesus is doing this on purpose. Obviously, he has a mission and he has a ministry here to do. And we see their reaction. So how does Jesus respond? Well, John tells us again, they sought to kill him. Verse 17. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. Remember, the, the, the accusation is work on the Sabbath. Right, that's that's what they're accusing him of doing. Well, Jesus's response here, this very a short, simple, concise uh, response, is actually really an astonishing declaration. Okay, this is really he's saying a lot here. Okay, he's saying a lot. As we look at these records in the New Testament of these conversations between Jesus and uh, the authorities. Uh, we, we have many of those, but this response, however, is a little unique. Okay, this particular one. Um, because it says Jesus answered them. Mo- most of the English Bible translations have behind this verse, the word that is translated here, it says Jesus said or Jesus answered, right? That's what's commonly seen. But, but behind the English uh, of this particular translation, the verb that's translated here is actually uh, answered, the way it's answered is rare. It's not used regularly here. Okay. Uh, in fact, uh, the verb translated here is only found in the context of trials or courtroom settings, uh, where formal charges are being brought. So, what's what's by using that verb? What's John trying to say? John's trying to tell us here that Jesus is not simply answering a conversation uh, or answering a question in a conversation. He is doing. He is giving. A legal defense. That's what John's trying. To, the point he's trying to make. He's giving a legal defense as to why he has done what he has done. So um, those he answered were seeking to kill him. Obviously. So what was his defense? What, what was his defense for healing the man on the Sabbath and then taking him or telling him to take up his bed and walk? Again, this statement or this answer from Jesus is brief, but is but it is profound. I'll repeat it. 
My father has been working until now, and I have been working. What Jesus is doing here, um, he's reminding the Jewish authorities that uh, the Sabbath rest was built into creation. Why? Because we know uh, the creation account as we find it in Genesis. God created all things in six days and on the seventh He rested. So the pattern has been set from creation. The pattern for man is to work six days and then rest on the seventh. Again, a creation ordinance. But Jesus showed them what his point here is, is just because Jesus rested on the seventh day doesn't mean that God stopped being active. God didn't on the seventh day just stop being active in creation or stop. Uh, he, he took his hands off of it and just, okay, I've created everything. Now I can just sit back and watch. God didn't become passive on the Sabbath day. God didn't take a nap. God didn't go on vacation, right? Uh, no. He, he, and So what Jesus is trying to tell him here, or he's going to show them, we're going to build it out. Just because it says God rested, he didn't stop being active. Now, what do we know about deists? Who knows about deists, right? You know what a deist is? Anybody heard that term before? Um, a deist is, they believe in God, right? They believe there is a God, but they kind of believe he's like a great watchmaker, okay, is the, the um, example or the illustration that Sproul used. Right, he's a great watchmaker. I, I like nice watches, right? So, uh, you know, it's, it, the, the DS view is he made a very nice watch. He wound it up and he just let it go. Right. So, what does that mean for the deist? The God is not active in creation. Right. He just he gave it all that it needed and he gave it the energy and he says, "Okay, have fun. You're on your own." He's not involved with the regular things of life or the daily things of life. That is the deist uh, view. However, that is not the biblical view of God. That is not what we see. That's not what we learn about God uh, in the Bible or of uh, creation. The very word, back to, when we go back to Genesis, the first chapter of Genesis, the very word create that we see in the first chapter of Genesis is the English translation of a Hebrew word, uh, bara, which implies sustained action. So it's, uh, we may think of to create something as a one-time thing. The Hebrew word really implies, it does imply creating something for the first time, but it, it implies sustained action. Okay, It's something that, that keeps on going. It doesn't end with creation. So what we know is that the Bible teaches us that God didn't just bring everything into being. Uh, he continues to preserve it and maintain it even till today, until the end of time. God will always be in that role. And of course, the fact that God is still active and He continues to work is the only reason that we're even still here. Okay, It's the only reason that creation is still here. What you see us human beings, the created order, the universe, the stars and the heavens, everything. The only reason it's still here is because God continues to preserve it. If God, in fact, stopped working, what would happen? Everything that's created would cease to exist. Everything that is created would cease to exist. 
Because of that fact over in Acts 17, what do, what do we read over there in Acts 17.28? And that's a beautiful verse. In Him, in God, we live and we move and we have our being. Every, God is the sustainer of all life. All created. Uh, everything that's created. Everything that's not God, God is responsible for its existence. And He is responsible for sustaining it. But sadly, that is not the way most people think today. Uh, in fact, there is a, a naturalistic view of life which is very popular today. It's, it's, it's been around for a long time. It's very popular today. Uh, the unfortunate piece is, is this naturalistic view of life has sadly infiltrated uh, the church. And, uh, and the view, the naturalistic way of looking at things basically thinks or assumes that nature operates under its own power. That's what the naturalistic uh, worldview would think. Uh, Dr. Sproul asked, he said, how many times have you heard this question, where was God on September 11th, 2001? Where was God? How many times did you hear somebody ask that question back in those days? We can all, most of us, not all of us, most of us can remember that day, right? We know exactly where we were on that day. And you remember your reaction. How many, how many people did you come in contact with? How many people did you hear say that? I heard, I remember it being said a lot, right? Well, the assumption there with that, what is, what is behind that question? What's, what leads someone to ask that kind of question? They, they are working on the assumption that, that God's just kind of off somewhere doing something else. He's really not paying attention. Oh, maybe God just missed that. Maybe He wasn't paying attention that day. We know that's not the truth. Okay? So, with this answer, Jesus is telling them, and He's telling us, and He's telling the world today, that the naturalistic view of the world is completely wrong. That is not accurate. That is not how things work. Jesus was affirming that God is the omnipotent, all-powerful Lord of all things. He governs everything from not just the beginning, but He governs it from moment to moment, every moment that passes. Every moment that has been and every moment that will be. God governs. He is, oh, he is in control. He is um, involved with everything. Um, Doctor Sproul told a story. He was on a train one time, and just by himself, kind of traveling, and a young lady had, I guess, had sat near them, and she had been on a weekend retreat, and it was probably one of those retreats where they go out the woods and you know and come to commune with nature and and try to find themselves and find God and find spirituality, all these kind of things, you know. And the lady was telling, he was listening, he wasn't in the conversation. lady was telling some other people she was sitting with, she said, I, I found out who, I discovered who God is this weekend. And they're like, really? Who is that? I said, I am God. That's what she told him. I'm God. Right? And so he's listening to the whole thing and they kind of, the conversation kind of you know, it's, it's not going a whole while. They're just kind of talking. And then he had the opportunity to talk to her. And in the conversation, she says, Now, I heard what you said. Now, you don't really believe that, do you? 
You don't really believe that you're God, do you? And she said, no, I don't. She had come off some sort of experience, right? Where And you, you've heard of these kind of things that happen, people do. This new age kind of spiritualism, um, you know, where God's in everything. He's in the table, He's in the trees, and, and whatever. Very naturalistic, very popular way, right? Very... Uh, it because uh, that's not a that's not an angry not an angry but there's not a righteous God there there's a God that's in everything right so people like that God a lot better right they seem to because it makes God more like us but but it was obviously untrue okay and and thankfully Dr. Sproul was there and just say hey maybe maybe she realized you know it's really a bunch of hoodoo you know I need to kind of forget that. Well, that's why stuff like that that happens that happens here with this lady on the train, it happens still today is why this verse is so important because it teaches a lot teaches us a lot about the nature of God and of Christ. Uh, though the work of creation did only take six days, and I believe in a six literal day creation, um, the just because it was completed in six days, the work did not stop. God did not stop. Working and Jesus is saying what? It's it was started then and it's continuing now, and we know it's continuing even now, two thousand years later. Well, the people he's talking to, the Jewish leaders, the rabbis, they had their own theory about God's work and how He works. They actually granted that they didn't have a deistic view. They granted that God continues to work after creation. They accepted that. Yes, God is still at work after creation. But they wrestled with the the question, okay, is it okay for God to work on the Sabbath? That's a question they wrestled with, okay? Um, So they had come up with uh, some reasons as to why it was acceptable and legal for God to work on the Sabbath. Of course, it's interesting as I was reading this. You know, here, here we go, these religious authorities. They're, they're trying to, to figure out a way to make it okay, make it legal by their standards for God to work on the Sabbath. You know, it's just, I'm reading it, I'm going, man, these people really had a lot of things backwards. Because these, a lot of these laws they had written were man-made. They're trying to make God conform to their way of looking at things. Now, isn't, isn't that just amazing? It's, 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 uh, it's amazing, it's, it's sad, but unfortunately a lot of people think that way. They, when they think about God, they start with themselves and they work back to God. That's the wrong direction, right? We start with God and we work back to ourselves. That's that's the way uh, we start. But anyway, so they had this theory. They determined that it was acceptable. Uh, Last week we mentioned those 39 laws about work on the Sabbath. Remember the paralyzed man violated the 39th. So the very last one is where it says you can't pick up one thing and move it to another. Well, the rabbis understood and they accepted that God's domain, okay, where God exists, is infinite. Well, that's true, right? God is infinite. Uh, Therefore, they determined that God was exempt from the 39th law. Well, that's good, isn't it? I'm glad that they determined that, right? 
So the way they looked at it is, well, well, people, God's infinite. He's exempt from this. However, people, human beings, are finite. Therefore, they're under their requirement. So the fact that God's infinite, He rises above these requirements. So the rabbis then would conclude that whatever God does on the Sabbath, okay, He does work. Whatever He does takes place within His domain, His personal domain. So therefore, it's okay. It's okay that God works on the Sabbath. Well, that's really clever. Okay, it's a really interesting way. Um, It's a convenient way uh, to look at it. However, it's unsound in its reasoning. Well, Jesus used... Because Jesus knows what the rabbis teach and believe. And so He is now... That's the background to how we got here. So Jesus Jesus knows this. And so He's using this teaching of the rabbis as His basis or the basis for His own defense now. So He argues that my Father works on the Sabbath. So do I. Since it's permissible for Him, by your law, by your understanding, it's permissible for Him to work on the Sabbath and God is my Father, then I'm allowed to do it. And if you're arguing with what I'm doing on the Sabbath, then you're really arguing with God. In in short, what was Jesus claiming here? Jesus was claiming, I'm God. Jesus was claiming in His defense, I am God. Now, this issue of work on the Sabbath was a regular point of disagreement between Jesus and the authorities. Remember, in uh, we read over in Mark 2, uh, this was uh, the occasion when they had picked some heads of grain on the Sabbath, he and his disciples, if you remember. And they were not, hey, they, they worked. They picked grain on the Sabbath. And what did Jesus say in Mark 2, 27 and 28? The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Son of Man, remember the title, Jesus' personal favorite uh, title when He referred to Himself. Um, what was Jesus saying? It, it, well, in that passage, really, he, he was probably being even more straightforward, right, than he is here that we see here in John. So, everyone that is around, who, whoever the witnesses of of this conversation, everyone knows, especially the religious leaders, the one that you remember, Jesus is deciding to do these miracles on the Sabbath for this very reason. Everyone knew what he was claiming here. Okay, everyone knew what he was claiming. And so what follows in verse 18 is not surprising at all, right? What do we see in verse 18? Therefore, based on Jesus' answer he just gave, they understood. Jesus claimed to be, he says he's God. Therefore, the Jews sought to kill him, sought all the more to kill him. Because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. So this defense, Jesus' legal defense, as we've established, uh, for his the way he 
conducted his affairs on the Sabbath uh, has angered them all the more. They are even more angry. Of course, this verse confirms for us, John tells us, it happens here that the Jews instantly understood the implication of his remarks. This man says he's God. Now they want to kill him even more. Now we come to um, some other difficult passages. And these are, we can be found in the rest of the reading. Uh, we're going to cover verses 19 through 23 just for a moment. Let me read those verses. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself but what He sees the Father do. For whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself does. And He will show Him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all honor that they should all honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Now we all know when we ask, uh, what do we mean when we use the word Trinity? Everybody knows, right? Three gods, uh, three gods. One God, three persons. Right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But what if we asked you this question, and I, I'll be honest with you, when he, I had the, I've heard this question before, I've studied this, but it's been a while. If I hadn't been reading the lesson, I probably couldn't answer this question today. What if we ask the next question, so you understand Trinity, we all, we all do, what is the difference then between the ontological Trinity and the economic Trinity? A little harder question, right? I, I've seen that question before. I think it was on an exam in college, I think, a long time ago. So I knew the words, but I wasn't, I had to, I'm glad I was studying the lesson because I don't think I would have answered it if somebody would just asked me. I, I, I think I'd have had to go back and study. Well, that's a very good question. What is the difference between the ontological trinity and the economic? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Ontology, ontology, I'm sorry, ontology is the study of being. Okay, it's the study of being. When we talk about the ontological trinity, we are talking about the fact that God is three in one. Okay, three persons in the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're together one being. They're of one power. They're of one essence. One is not lesser than the other in, in value or in power or in, in worth. So the ontological structure is that of unity. Right? They don't disagree with one another. They don't have arguments. They don't, they're, they're, they're unified. They're one God. Three persons. That's so. That's kind of what you would. Okay, that's how we normally would answer. What is the Trinity, right? So now you know a little bit a different term. Okay, what's that really? More specifically, what do we call that? Well, now you know the ontological uh, Trinity. Now, when we speak of the economic Trinity, now we are dealing with the different 
roles. The different roles within the Godhead. So we distinguish between the three in terms of the roles. Each of them has their own role. It is the Father who sends the Son, right? The Father sends the Son into the world to accomplish redemption. It is the Son and His role who acquires our redemption for us. And it is the Spirit who applies our redemption. So we have one plan of redemption. We have one God, three persons. Each of the persons of the Godhead has His own role. We do not have three gods. We know that. We have one God in three persons. They're distinguished by what they do. And this is the economic trinity. In Orthodox Christianity, we say that God, that the Son is equal to the Father in power and glory and being, which is true. He's not, the Son is not a lesser God. The Son was not created. The Son was not the firstborn God. None of those things. He is equal to God or to the Father in power. The doctrine, that doctrine relies heavily on what we read, you remember when we started this lesson, in John. Right? How does John start? John 1.1 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, Christ, the Son. And the Word was with God. He was there with God. And the Word was God. Two uh, persons of the Trinity equal in power, equal in glory and being. But this shows what? That they have they're different in their roles, but they are still one. From let's, we're going to build this out a little bit more. So from all eternity, the Father sends the Son. The Son is doesn't send the Father. The Son doesn't send Himself. Okay, the Father sends the Son. The Son in that role is subordinate to the Father. They are even though they are equal in power and glory, there is an economic subordination of the Son to the Father. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is talking about His role and His Father's role in history, in redemptive history. He's, what Jesus is saying here, I can't do anything on my own. He says, I, I do what the Father tells me to do. He says, I, I do now, I'm doing what the Father has sent me to do. I watch the Father and I do what He does. I am obedient to Him in my role as the Son. Yet I'm still God. Jesus then says that the Father is going to show Him even greater things. You think the miracles that I've done are great. They are. I'm going to show you even greater things because the Father is going to show them uh, to me. And what Jesus was referring to is the healing or the raising of the dead. You think it's it's amazing that I healed a paralyzed man. That's truly amazing. I'm going to raise someone from the dead. I mean, so, wow. I mean, why? Because the Father has shown it to me. So you see the roles here that Jesus is building out here, okay? Verse verse 22. Jesus says that the Father judges no one. Now, it's very important to read the whole verse, right? 
because we can't read this and assume there is no judgment, right? We have to read the whole thing here. Uh, because Jesus, Jesus said, what did He say about judgment? The Father judges no one. He says what? He's committed all judgment to Me. The Son. Well, He says the Son. I've committed all judgment to the Son. So the Father's not going to judge the world because He's delegated that to His Son. We see further the economic trinity, the different roles within the Godhead. We see Jesus is still building that out. And then he adds some sobering words in verse uh, 23. He says, The Father has delegated judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Wow. Remember who he's standing in front of? The religious elite. The authorities. The ones who all the people look to for everything. They were the ones who knew everything. Right? They were the leaders. Jesus had just claimed, I'm God. I do everything that my Father tells me to do. And now He's talking about this judgment. Western culture will tell us today that people can believe in anything as long as uh, what they believe, uh, because we all believe in the same God. Okay, we've heard that a hundred times, right? They they describe God as at a pinnacle of a mountain, right? It's a round mountain. There's a whole bunch of different paths, but they all go to the same place, right? Christians taking this one path, and the Muslims are taking another path, or Hindus, or whatever, but we all get to the same place. Well, how does that line up with what Jesus just said? How does that line up to about how, how to honor the Father? Those people say the mountain, right? The Father's at the top. We all get there different ways. What does Jesus just say? Nope. Not true. He's, he's saying, you have to honor me in order to honor the Father. And if you don't honor me, you can't honor the Father. I'm the way. I'm the only way to the Father. We cannot honor the Father without honoring the Son. And Jesus and the Son, what He says, has been appointed. What? What does Jesus say? All judgment's been appointed to me. The judgment of the world will fall on Him. So, Jesus is saying those who fail to honor Christ will fail to honor the Father. And they'll have to give an answer. So, really, when you think about this, who's on trial here? Jesus is on trial, right? What, what's He saying to them? You're sitting here trying me. Do you know who you're talking to? I'm the judge. The judge is standing before you. You are trying to accuse the judge of the world of this. Jesus, with this declaration, is really turning the tables on them. He's turning it back on them. In fact, He's not the one who's a blasphemer. They are. That's what He's telling them. Well, this is just the beginning of his defense. It goes on for a while, more chapters, and we'll get into some more uh, theological matters. We'll get there. Um, but uh, it's an amazing uh, few verses that wait for us. Let me go ahead. Time bell has rung. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank You for our day. Thank You for this time together. Father, as we leave our time of study, 
Father, be with our pastor as he leads us in our worship. Father, we pray that you will speak boldly through him, uh, through your pulpit here at Lebanon. Father, we pray that your people gather here today as we remind ourselves that you are the audience. Our worship here is for you, to give you what you deserve. And we gather today um, with the saints from around the world, even the saints in the very throne room of God, as where we worship you today. We pray that you will renew our sense of worship this morning. Father, we stand in all before you and who you are, and we owe you all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.